Please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Good morning. It's a very hot and sunny Wednesday, the 16th of June, 2021. Welcome, if you're watching live, uh, to this edition of Morning Expresso. If you are watching live and you'd like to watch this in a different language, you can do that by selecting uh, the button below, and there we have the different uh, versions that are available. You can always send us questions via the Q&A button or by sending emails to Nordia funds at nordia.com. Right, this morning we are going to kick off with a macro update. And as ever, I am joined by our senior macro strategist, Sebastian Garley. Good morning, Sebastian. Good morning. Hello. Sebastian, today we're looking at uh, long-term growth expectations. And I know that you feel that, you know, when we look at the macro situation you know, on the longer term, things are looking a little bit subdued. Uh, so why is that? Well, long-term uh, growth expectations are a function of productivity and profits are a function of productivity and prices. And prices are set to stay a relatively well-contained in range um, and, and productivity is, start to, is set to stay relatively weak. And then you have added this, you have a, a demand shock as for the population ages, you have an excessive uh, debt load, and then you have a situation which is better in the United States than in, uh, in Europe. But this is also an opportunity because not this year, not next year, but in the following years, the people, people will be looking at the future and saying, look, we have relatively subdued uh, low uh, growth expectations in the next uh, decades or so, how do we get out of that? And that is through new products, new idea, new engineering. And that means there's a renewal of the old economy by the new economy, which eats into all these potential profits. And therefore uh, the growth basically of, of that new economy is going to set to accelerate. Okay, so, so what about you know, long-term earnings? There's a lot of discussion on you know, building back better, but when will that translate into improved productivity? So you, you have investment, as you were pointing out, in the Build Back Better, which tells you that if I invest in my infrastructure, my data centers uh, and the likes, what you have over time is a replacement of a new economy with better technology, better infrastructure, and it delivers better productivity in, uh, in the longer run. And we know that productivity is a very hard for battle. It's difficult. We have a, the, the IT revolution in the 80s, which then la lasted into the 90s. Now what we have is a system which interconnects everything. So everything happens faster and matches much better than it did, but it doesn't mean that it's much more productive, though productivity also is, is uh, improving. And this battle for productivity is a battle which has started to be fought now in China first, in the United States second, and in, in, uh, we're going to see the same battle being fought in Europe then, which is a big investment in, into this uh, new economy, more training, better training. We're going to learn more from the Finns about education and the likes. And it's be a, this transformative, transformative um, change within the economy, which will happen over decades from now. So when this little boy is a little bit older. Exactly. Exactly. So um, maybe we just summarize here. Uh, we bring up the summary slide and we'll just go through this quickly. 
So, you know, like you were just saying, um, disruption technologies are likely to be a key theme to emerge uh, in the in the coming years. And yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I really think so. And when when the growth goes through the eye of the needle, it's uh, our expectations regarding the future inequity, and particularly in growth, are lofty, right? Um, mm -hmm. But eventually, we're going to go through that correction, and this is going to be a massive opportunity. And and then the second point is that you know the long term growth expectations are perhaps overly optimistic uh, in growth stocks, and therefore I, we I, prefer companies that have pricing power. Pricing power, cyclicals, uh, and the likes, and uh, and we continue to favor this right now. Great. Well, it was nice to look a little bit further ahead than just the next uh, few quarters. So uh, thank you for for giving us that uh, update, Sebastian, and uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you for having me. Right, now we're going to move over to the main section of today's discussion, and we will be taking a, a deep dive into uh, engagement cases here at Nordea Asset Management. And for that, I am joined by Katerina Hammer, who is Head of Active Ownership. So good morning, Katerina. Good morning. Hi. And we also have Arvinda Tiwana, who is a senior ESG analyst within the Responsible Investment Team. Hello, good morning, Arvinda. Good morning, Paul and Katerina. Hi. So perhaps a good place to start is to ask you about, you know, the resources available to the active ownership team, because we do put quite a lot of resource into this, don't we? Yes, we do. So we have a team of 18 in the responsible investment team. And then we have two colleagues that we work very closely with in the corporate governance uh, team. And um, the division of the team is, is very much also connected to how we work, I would say. So we have uh, uh, the ESG data and uh, uh, our uh, colleagues that are behind the ESG risk scoring model, our proprietary model that we have developed over the years. Um, also climate is one of their focus areas to identify metrics and ways to manage climate risks and opportunities. And then we have the products and research team that, that work very closely to the portfolio managers, uh, securing integration of ESG and support um, particular support to some of our ESG products. And then active ownership, which is uh, the team that Arvinder and myself are part of, which work with engagement and also our policy and our responsible investment committee and making progress there. And the final part of the team is what we call uh, ESG private equity, which also work with ESG research, but for the, the private equity asset class. So um, a lot of resources on this um, and it's really been increasing uh, in the last couple of years. So I guess the next question is, you know, why is it so important? Why are we putting all of this resource um, towards active ownership? And actually, what does it mean for Nordea? You know, what's your approach? Uh, so it really means that we want to deliver returns with responsibility um, and to secure that uh, we have the active ownership and engagement and also to, to protect the shareholder value in the investments that we do. We want to secure that the companies we invest in also manage their, their ESG risks and opportunities. 
um, and that we contribute to that in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, and active ownership is really about engagement and voting. Um, and also, I guess, using, you could also use voting uh, if engagement is not making the progress that you would like to see. Um, so this, this has been part of what we do for many, many years. Um, I think the key difference when it comes to voting is that we've expanded the universe, but, but uh, being active, uh, especially in the Nordic market at AGMs and also there we have a shareholder red, uh, led nomination committees. It's really part of this. Yeah. Yeah, it's something we've always been at pains to point out that at Nordia Asset Management, we take um, an engagement role. You know, we don't want to just stick our heads in the sand and ignore uh, what's going on, but really try and actively promote uh, ESG and responsible investment and, and you know, help uh, companies and even governments uh, on that path and down that as uh, part of that journey and, and sort of hold their hands. So that's a really core part of what we do here, here at Nordea. I guess the question is, how do you actually go about that? You know, what, what steps do you have to take uh, as, as an active owner? Um, so, so in order to, to prioritize and also try to make it more tangible, uh, what we do and also how we work together with the different, I mean, it's not only about the active ownership team, of course, it's also yep. being uh, in close interaction with the portfolio manager, the, the ESG and financial analysts, and also the corporate governance team. So, mm -hmm. I mean, collaboration within the organization is one, one key element. And then we, we usually speak about three different types of of engagement, I think we can see that on next slide. Um, so the first one, which we call norms and incident related engagement, that you could say is, is also part of our responsible investment policy. And just like you referred to, we, we really try to avoid exclusion or that's our last kind of option. Um, but instead, when we screen our portfolios to identify if there's any company violating international norms, or if there's a major incident in a company that we hold, it can be a corruption case, it can be anti-money laundering, it can be environmental accidents. Um, that's that's uh, then classified as a norms incident engagement. And uh, our process is really to, first of all, try to proactively identify cases, but, but also when cases happens that we reach out to the company uh, to, to get a better understanding of what has happened. Uh, is this systematic or is it just a one-off accident? And also what measures are taken. Uh, and then we, we explore whether we should run this on our own or if there's collaborative initiative where we can work together with other investors to, to engage on, on the topic. Mm -hmm. So that's, and, and I mean, of course, we check our exposure and and then uh, reach out to the company first kind of understanding the issue. And then we can go back, um, think about what should our expectations be? What, do, what change would we, if we believe it's systematic, it's more important to address. Um, and then we find different ways to express our expectation and then follow up if those are met. And usually, I mean, this is not something that happens in a couple of weeks, but, but mm -hmm. a lot of these engagement cases run uh, for 
uh, a couple of years at least. Um, and then the second type of engagement is what we call investment-led. So it's more related to uh, issues identified that we really believe that this company should improve in this area to, to really support or make our investment case even stronger. Or um, it could also go the other way around, of course. But to, to identify, it could be emerging ESG risks that we believe is not properly managed. Um, or that there's information that the market, the company is very good, but they're not really communicating the, the things that mm -hmm. investors are looking for. Um, so that's what we then call investment led. And the, the process is pretty much like I described for norms and investment uh, led, no, sorry, norms and incident based engagement. It's really about selecting uh, companies, checking our exposure, setting objectives of what we want to achieve, um, and then uh, document this in our engagement platform, uh, do research on the company, uh, meet the company at different levels, sometimes also meet uh, stakeholders around the company to get input to, to our meetings, mm -hmm. and then report on progress and close the case once we believe we've reached what we, we want, the change we would like to see. Yeah. And then the final type of engagement is what we call thematic. And of course, the, the lines between these, they, they, sometimes it can move between these, but it's just to help um, kind of demonstrate the different types and also help us uh, prioritize. But so the last is what we call thematic engagement. Yeah. And there we've identified the most relevant issues that we believe needs to be addressed um, and also risks, emerging risks. Um, and climate change is of course an obvious uh, focus area for us. Mm -hmm. uh, the same goes with human rights and good governance. Mm -hmm. And the final two uh, are uh, water and maybe the, the most newly added uh, focus area is biodiversity. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess, you know the norms based um and uh you know the, the, the what was the second one you had norm based it uh I mean, investment led and then investment led exactly thematic. so so these are driven by events or you know either external events or internal events here at nordia mm. the thematics though th these are different themes that I, I guess we prioritize ourselves so you, you listed them, I guess, in order of importance, but perhaps you could just talk us through, you know, the, the prioritization that you have and, and where the focus is right now. Uh, I would say that, that those focus areas really help us prioritize because there's so many interesting topics in the area of ESG and, and also issues to address. But yeah. um, I mean, climate change, we really want to secure that, that um, in the companies we hold, that the risks are uh, managed, and that there's awareness, that there are transition plans to, to meet these risks. And, and also, I mean, we've made a commitment uh, as part of the Net Zero Asset Manager Initiative to be net zero in 2050. So that is also part of the discussion. And also all, uh, a lot of our clients are 
want to contribute or have made similar commitments to net zero. So to, to I mean, make progress together with our clients and the companies we invest in. I think this is a very um, uh, high priority. And then human rights, we also see emerging legislation in relation to human rights. Of course, we want to secure that we reduce our exposure towards severe human rights risks in the companies we invest in. So again, it's, it's about um, uh, prioritizing areas that help us contribute to deliver returns with responsibility. Um, and then the third one, good governance. I mean, that's really the basic of everything, more or less. I mean, uh, in order to manage climate and, and human rights risks, you need to have good governance in the company you invest in. Um, but to take an example, I think diversity and inclusion is, is one of our concrete targets when it comes to good governance. We have uh, both uh, as part of our responsible investment policy and our corporate governance principles um, that we should have a 40-60 split in the boards with the underrepresented uh, gender. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have views uh, to other typical uh, governance topics. Uh, and then the final piece, water and biodiversity. I think water and climate change are quite uh, closely connected. And um, again, it's, it's about reducing our exposure to, to these risks or that uh, rather maybe say that the companies we invest in, that they manage these risks properly so we don't get any unpleasant surprises. I'd like to get Arvinda involved in the conversation because he's been patiently sat on the, on the sideline yes. there. Um, and we also, we promised right at the outset that we would uh, go through an engagement case or two. And uh, Arvinda, I see that you've got a slide uh, for us on pharma. So um, could you tell us a bit about that? Yes. So the pharma engagement is part of our uh, thematic engagement uh, on the water and bio biodiversity. Um, it actually won the ESG initiative of the year uh, in 2020 by the Sustainable Investment Awards. Um, the engagement started back in 2015, uh, where Nodia Asset Management uh, started dialogue with the pharma industry about the environmental and health impact of uh, pharma manufacturing in India. Mm -hmm. on the basis of uh, two independent research reports that uh, were commissioned by Nordea Asset Management, uh, which investigated the f water pollution outside industrial parks uh, in Hyderabad, India. Uh, the Pharmaceutical Supply Chain Initiative uh, developed uh, action plans uh, to start engaging and uh, mapping Indian supplier sharing industri industry expectations on pollution management and uh, um, having training conferences. Um, and we, we've been, the Nodeas Management have been part of this whole process. And in 2020, the Indian Ministry of Environment, Forest and Climate Change actually published a uh, draft bill to uh, limit concentration of antibiotics uh, 
discharge by the pharmaceutical factories in the waterways. And uh, today, Nodea's management still engages with the uh, pharmaceutical supply chain initiative, and we're on the PSCI uh, advisory panel. Uh, mm-hmm. We are also participating in standard setting within this uh, topic uh, through meeting with the uh, SASB and uh, having them uh, include um, the standards into the next draft on uh, on SASB uh, disclosures on uh, biotech uh, biotechnology and the pharmaceutical industry. So. First of all, congratulations on the award last Thank year. That's you. great. <laughs> but uh, I guess you've got that on the uh, on the sideboard at home now. Yeah, we have it in the office. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're not allowed um, to take it home. <laughs> but of course, that doesn't mean that we we've finished it. Of course, uh, you know, we still need to continue to be involved in that. So uh, yeah, that's an ongoing process. And like Katerina was saying, this is something that stretches over years and years. So. Um, so that's that's great. Um, we've yeah, I, I, brought... I agree. Oh, I think sorry. you're very, very right that that's an example of how you work with the theme for many, many years and, and also um, try to influence both the companies, the policymakers, and also uh, even now the uh, SASB, which is um, doing a materiality mapping of what are the most relevant metrics for different companies in different sectors to report on towards investors. Oh, okay. And that, and that was one of the main metrics, presumably. Yeah. For, yes. For the, yeah. Great. Um, what I was going to say, we, we, we launched uh, fairly recently a global social empowerment strategy uh, because we felt that the, the S in the ESG is, is getting overlooked quite a bit by the asset management industry, um, but more importantly, because there are numerous companies that are well positioned to, to profit from a focus in that area. Now, you have another example today, um, an example of a social engagement with, with Samsung. So I think that's really ties in nicely with that new strategy. So perhaps you could explain a bit about that. Yes. So uh, let me correct you. It's Samsung SDI, not ah. uh, Samsung Electronics. Um, okay. It's actually uh, an engagement case that ta- uh, that touches on two uh, of our main themes. Uh, it's investment-led, but it has a close connection to climate change and also to uh, uh, the social part of human rights uh, viol- uh, violations and protection of human rights. Mm-hmm. So Samsung SEI, they create uh, batteries. Um, one of the main uh, drivers, uh, if we are going to transition to a low-carbon economy, is uh, the, the, the increase of electric vehicles around the world. Um, all At the moment, all the uh, vehicles, uh, batteries, electric vehicle batteries, uh, they use um, cobalt. And uh, one of the main challenges with cobalt is that uh, 70% of the global supply comes out of uh, the DRC. Mm-hmm. And um, it is not, uh, cobalt in itself is not more problematic uh, 
mineral to mine than other minerals. Uh, it is the fact that it's coming out of the DRC. It is the fact that uh, there is a lot of artisanal mining going on. And uh, mm -hmm. in artisanal mining, there are a lot of uh, potential for human rights violations uh, mm -hmm. or bad safety standards as well. Yeah. So uh, where, where we want to engage with uh, Samsung SDI is helping them address uh, their exposure to cobalt and uh, how they can go ahead and work with this uh, going forward. Mm -hmm. If you could change to the next slide. Yep. So, um, so we, we've been engaging, as you can see here, we've been engaging with Samsung SDI for quite a few years. Mm -hmm. uh, the company has been addressing this uh, slightly longer than our engagement. So it's been on their focus list uh, for a while. Um, they've uh, started uh, um, auditing their smelters and engaging with their own supply chain. Um, they've uh, tried to adjust their product uh, creation so that they are using less uh, cobalt in their batteries. Uh, and they've also uh, made uh, contractual agreements with the mines directly in Congo uh, so that they can buy the mines from them and avoid uh, the artisanal mining aspect of uh, cobalt. Right. And uh... And again, I guess this is something that we're still involved in uh, at this stage. Yes, we are. We are still involved in our engagement with them and uh, keeping up with uh, um, what their progress on the issue is, but also uh, looking at now that they have uh, created these uh, direct contracts with mines, uh, Mining in cobalt, even if it's a large-scale institutional mining, is not without problems. Yeah. So also addressing how Samsung SDI are uh, reviewing uh, their, their suppliers in uh, the DRC. Yeah. Now, these are just two examples of many that we are running. Um, and you had some statistics to share with us regarding... Uh, engagement activity. So uh, maybe you could you could talk us through that. Yeah. So um, uh, this is um, some slides from yeah. our responsible investment annual report that we have talked about before. We have. Um, <laughs> so it's it's about a thousand um, engagements in total and. Um, a combination of individual engagements and uh, collaborative, like I mentioned, we do some of the engagements together with other investors and then we divide the companies between ourselves. Uh, you can also see here that there's a quite even mix between uh, governance, social and environmental related mm. um, engagements. And you yeah. can also see that the three top um, engagement themes is good governance, climate, and human rights, which isn't yeah. that surprising considering the focus areas that I just mentioned. <laughs> so it seems to, to be that we do what we, we say we should. Um, and when it comes to collaborative engagement, uh, some of our uh, top, top um, initiatives there, that's the 
the SASB engagement. So, so we're part of the investor advisory group in SASB, Sustainable Accounting Standards Board. And really what, what the focus is there is to, to encourage companies to report in line with SASB. We think that is a very good framework um, for investors to assess companies according to. Um, and it's also something we use in our proprietary model. Um, and then another one is the corporate human rights benchmark, which we, we are a funding member of. We, as I mentioned, human rights is a focus area. We thought there was a, a gap. Uh, there weren't really a benchmark assessing the performance when it comes to human rights. Mm -hmm. So it's um, the first benchmark results were published, I think it was 2016. And then we followed progress um, on that. And the focus is the, the most exposed sectors for human rights risks. Mm -hmm. And then the third uh, biggest collaborative engagement is Climate Action 100 which is a five-year engagement um, focusing on the 160 largest emitters. Um, and the focus there is to secure um, that there's good governance on climate risks and opportunities. Also that there are emission reduction targets set and also uh, disclosure, which makes it possible for investors to assess the progress. Um, so. Those are some of the highlights, and I think we can yeah. move to the next slide, which is, I think, around voting. Yes, um, yeah. And um, that's that's the main uh, responsibility for the corporate governance team. Um, and the highlight here is really, this is last year's numbers, um, where we voted in the biggest holdings. We've expanded that a lot during the, this year, um, where we more or less vote in the close to, to all our holdings, or at least the majority. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also want to highlight here, I mentioned it, that we have these shareholder-led uh, nomination committees in the Nordics. And yep. we can see that the, the gender diversity target you know, when it comes to board has really developed in the right direction. And we're really on target now with a 40-60 split in the companies where we sit on the nomination committee, which is around 40 companies. So that's some highlights there. Um, yeah. So, so again, just to, to reiterate on that, you know, you've got these two pillars, really, the, the engagement side and then the voting side. And the voting side, we have a separate team, actually, that are responsible just for doing that. And they work very closely together with you and, of course, yep. the responsible yep. investment team uh, in order to affect change, basically. Yes. And also, of course, with the portfolio manager. Um, so there's like there were in previous slides, there's an interaction between between um, us in the organization. Now, I know you've got a couple of case studies. We're, we're running a little bit short on time, but maybe you can just very quickly take us through um, one or two examples of, you know, the, this engagement and voting and, and the case studies and how that works together. Yes. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to, to exemplify um, when I say active ownership is really about engagement and voting. Um, yeah. And um, as I mentioned, Climate Action 100, that started in 2017. A five-year engagement with the target to address governance, emission reduction, and uh, transparency and reporting on climate uh, mm -hmm. change. Mm -hmm. 
and Berkshire Hathaway is one of the companies that were identified um, and also where, where there has been, been some progress, uh, but still quite um, a long way to go. Um, and just to take this very, very short, uh, yes. uh, the last action. Um, so, so there's been engagement going on uh, with, with some meetings with the company. And then uh, we actually um, sent them a letter or sent the, the chairman a letter uh, saying that we, we will actually vote in favor of a shareholder proposal that was um, issued by the lead investors on that engagement. Um, mm -hmm. And we've got some, some reply, uh, but the resolution is really about that we want to see uh, TCFD disclosure um, because that's a very good framework for managing climate risks and opportunities and, and reporting uh, on that towards investors. Um, this was a vote against management um, and their support was 25%. So um, not a majority, but, but I think increasingly an increasing number of investors are now being concerned with mm. uh, this. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, in the interest of time, I think perhaps we, uh, we should wrap up now. Um, thank you very much to, to both of you. Thank you, Katharina. Thank you, Arvinda, um, for, for taking us through these examples. I think it's always great to have uh, you know, a concrete idea of, of what you're doing and, and how you're going about it. So that's, that's been very useful. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you both again soon. Likewise. Thank you. The same too. Take care. Bye. Bye. So um, next week, the 23rd of June is actually a public holiday in Luxembourg. So we will be taking a week off, uh, but we will be back on the 30th of June um, with a macro outlook for the second half of this year, as well as some thoughts about which asset classes investors should consider in order to best benefit from the trends that we see ahead. In the meantime, don't forget to visit our Stay Alert microsite at nordia.lu, where we have the previous interviews and also podcast versions of all of those interviews. That's it for this week. I'll see you the week after next.